Listener supported. WNYC Studios. On Friday, to avert another government shutdown, President Trump signed a bipartisan spending package that he argues did not include enough funding for a border wall. To secure that funding, he declared a national emergency. I'm going to be signing a national emergency. And it's been signed many times before. It's been signed by other presidents. From 1977 or so, it gave the presidents the power. There's rarely been a problem. The Democrats, however, see a problem. In advance of Trump's official announcement, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi spoke out against the idea of an emergency declaration. The precedent that the president is setting here is something that should be met with great unease and dismay. So is declaring a national emergency in this situation allowed? Unprecedented? To get a better understanding of this use of executive power, I spoke to Barbara Perry, the director of presidential studies at the University of Virginia's Miller Center. We want presidents to be able to act quickly in times of genuine emergency. Uh, And there are two methods constitutionally to do that. So one is that the president takes an oath to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. And that is mentioned in the Constitution that he not only the oath itself, but that he will take care that the laws be faithfully executed and that he is given executive power to carry out the laws. And then he is given the role of commander in chief. So certainly in defense, we want the president to be able to act in a defense emergency quickly. This seems to me to be in direct violation of that. This is not something that is a genuine emergency, though he is portraying it as such. But I think objective minds and observers would say this is not an emergency situation. The president is creating and describing emergency that does not exist. Uh, So I think that's what makes it different from typically what other presidents have done. Other emergencies, a tornado, a hurricane, a massive hurricane hits, and a president feels that he has to act immediately or has to act if Congress isn't in session. That seems very different from this invocation of emergency power on the part of this president. Yes, immigration needs to be handled, but it needs to be handled by the policymaking structure and the policymaking branch of government, which is the Congress. And if it's not acting and there's not a genuine emergency, I don't think the president has the power or authority to act. There are folks on the left and the right who worry that this emergency powers now will be taken and used by other presidents to pass whatever pet project they Mm -hmm. have. Do you see Mm -hmm. that as a real concern? I do, if the pendulum doesn't swing against the type of President Donald Trump is. It does concern me that it not only sets a precedent for a president doing this kind of thing by simply looking back to say, well, President Trump did it, but also that there will not be this sense of how the government was intended to operate, particularly on something like this where funding is wanted. Uh, Because, as I say, the founders understood that the legislative branch was, and this is Hamilton saying this, Alexander Hamilton writing in the Federalist Papers, that the Congress, the legislative branch would have the power of the purse, the president the power of the sword. And uh, yes, the president needs to take care that the laws are faithfully executed and that we're secure and our borders are secure. Uh, But there's tremendous difference over exactly what that means and what most 
commonsensical people think, as well as expert observers think, is that there's not a genuine emergency here. So one, it shouldn't even trigger the concept of emergency power. And two, even if it did, the president is wading into this area of of funding the power of the purse that is squarely placed in our Constitution in the legislative branch in Congress. Do you agree with the conventional wisdom right now in Washington that it is more likely than not that the courts overturn this decision by the president? That is my sense, because typically the courts have been, that's their role, is not only to interpret what the laws are, so they can interpret this National Emergency Act, for example, they can interpret, as they have over the years, the power of the president. Harry Truman, for example, wanted to seize the steel mills when the steel workers went on strike during the Korean War, and the court said, No, it went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said no. In fact, they said Congress in the Taft-Hartley Act had considered allowing the president, giving the president the explicit power to seize industry during emergencies, during a wartime, and run them. And the Congress decided not to do that. So we're going to say the president does not have the power to do that. That's been the precedent typically of our courts, including the Japanese-American internment, for example. Now, in that instance, the court said, well, we're at war, so the president can do this. And the Congress had approved, and so on it went. But, you know, typically we want the courts to come in and say, let's weigh the constitutional power, let's weigh the statutory power, is there genuinely an emergency? And if not, they are there to put that check on presidential power and authority. Right. So maybe all of this talk about, oh, boy, now it's a green light for the next president to do whatever they want is a little premature because if the courts come out and say, you know what, you can't do this, then other right. presidents are going to Right. If the courts do, say, but we do have to realize that there is now uh, a conservative majority on the Supreme Court. If it would, if a case like this, and it probably would make its way all the way to the Supreme Court. Now, Chief Justice John Roberts has begun to swing a little bit over to the liberal side on occasion. This most recent abortion case, for example, um, it's unclear what what he would do. But this is a concern that I have as someone who follows both the presidency and the courts that with the Obama position of of not getting that last seat on the court for him, for Merrick Garland, but McConnell holding that up in the Congress and giving that to Neil Gorsuch, uh, that we do have a situation of two Trump appointees, possibly a third uh, coming along in the next few years, that that could cause the U.S. Supreme Court to swing towards a Trump presidency and towards a Trump interpretation of -hmm. presidential power. Then once that court precedent has set that obviously strengthens a presidential precedent for future presidents down the line. Dr. Barbara Perry, thank you so much for coming in and talking with us. Oh, thank you, Amy. I always enjoy it. Dr. Barbara Perry is the Director of Presidential Studies at the University of Virginia's Miller Center.